Um, it's a machine learning model. The word eddy comes from the uh, reality when water's flowing down a river and it hits a boulder, that boulder causes water to flow counter to the current. And when that happens, that's called an eddy. What eddies happen every day in business. And so what we've been doing is we have been teaching our machine learning models how to detect an eddy or friction in the care journey. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to have my guest on the Delighted Customers podcast, Leslie Pagel. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark, for having me. I am equally delighted to be here. So I can't wait to dig into some of this. You know, um, your background is fascinating to me. You have the unique background of having like 20 years working for a CX consulting company. And I'm sure through those those trials and tribulations, you've had a lot of experience with all sorts of real world challenges. Can you, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about how you got to doing what you're doing today and then share what you are doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I started my career in CX consulting and Today, I, I talk about it as CX strategy yeah. because CX means so much to so many different people. And really, the part of it that I worked in was helping large, they were generally global tech companies, hmm. develop a strategy for differentiating on the customer experience. And there are several pillars underneath that, but voice of customer is one, inciting actions another, weaving it into the culture. And so was 20 years of working with large global tech companies and helping them differentiate on the customer experience. And I served a variety of roles um, in, in that kind of portion of my career. And then about six years ago, left and went on the practitioner side of things and said, hey, let me see what this is like doing the work inside of a large um, organization. So at that time, um, I went and worked at Anthem, which is now uh, Elevance Health. They're the second largest payer in the U.S. And I was in a market strategy and insights team, and we had our finger in the pulse of our members and employers and brokers and um, really helped guide Anthem in terms of their strategic priority of simplifying healthcare. At that time, the um, founder and CEO of Authentics, which is where I'm at, left her company to start Authentics. And we got connected because I was in CX and I was in healthcare and um, started talking and two and a half years ago, decided to join her mission of 
leveraging AI to help humans understand humans and um, doing that in a way in which um, companies can create uh, an, an ideal experience for their customers. Uh, we work exclusively within the healthcare space um, today as, as well. At Authentics, I serve as the chief evangelist, which uh, essentially I'm responsible for helping healthcare leaders um, see the possibility of a more efficient and effective way of listening to the voices of their customers, the patients, the caregivers, the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists. So I spend a lot of my time um, out in the market um, helping to educate on the role that artificial intelligence plays in listening and um, demonstrating how health, the opportunity that healthcare has to listen to the authentic voices, unsolicited data, not solicited data, but unsolicited data, listening to those voices to create a competitive advantage for themselves. Kind of came full circle. <laughs> you sure did. And um, uh, there's a few things I want to unpack there because you said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am curious. Uh, when you say the first thing that kind of made me smile a little bit was humans understanding humans using artificial intelligence. So it sounds a little bit like uh, an oxymoron, but say more about what you mean <laughs> regarding that. Well, when you think about it, there's so much hype today around AI. And when you, when you pair that back, peel the onion back, what you see is that a lot of companies are looking to leverage AI to replace or assist humans in a transaction. Um, and so instead of calling to schedule, we now have scheduling systems and things that kind of help us take the, the human being out of the customer experience. That is that's great. It is making us more efficient and effective. Um, it's allowing us to serve more customers. The, the, the other side of it, though, is that the paying customer will always be a human being. And companies need to have a deep understanding of the human beings that they serve in their work. And so we are leveraging AI not to um, replace or assist humans in business, but instead to really understand human beings from the context of their unsolicited conversations that they have with the business. And we're using that insight to help organizations have a deeper understanding of their customers, and also their own employees who are on the front line serving those customers as well. Okay, so so we're sort of um, looking for the right opportunities to use artificial intelligence to replace functions that humans currently do, which are typically at a high cost because humans are high cost, one of the highest cost channels right, that you can have, 
with a lower cost without using the human part of it. Yeah, without 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 forgetting that the people that we're serving are always going to be humans, and exactly. we don't want to we want to give we don't want to give away the humanity. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we are. Um, you know, a lot of companies out there are trying to teach AI human beings, like. They're, they're building human understanding into AI, and we're doing that as well. Um, and then we're using it for purposes of helping leaders understand the human beings and their business that they serve. Okay. All right. Let me, uh, let me unpack something else you said, which yeah. um, I, I, so I just want to get into a couple of definitions so we, we don't lose anyone. So we know that... Um, well, just to lay this out, so there's structured and unstructured data. And typically when we think about that, we're talking about structured data could be back from a survey or something someone's responded to that's hard data. Unstructured could be someone called into a call center, rec recording the call, turning it into text and, and having machines analyze it. Um, but use the word unsolicited. So to my, in my mind, that goes to even things like on, on the internet or social media. Tell us what you mean by um, unsolicited data. Yes. So I will start with solicited. And okay. solicited feedback is when you reach out to anyone and you ask for their input on something. It is most commonly when we ask customers to complete our NPS survey, as example. Okay. okay. That's solicited feedback. We're asking for their feedback. Unsolicited feedback is feedback that we get without asking. And that feedback comes in the form of social media. It comes in the form of when they call our contact center or chat with our contact center and ask questions about their product and services or share frustrations or share confusion, that's unsolicited feedback. It's authentic. It's um, in the moment, reflective of kind of where the customer is in their journey. And, um, and would you say a big chunk of the data that you get that is unsolicited comes from the contact center? The majority of what we do is contact center data. It's calls, it's chats, emails. Um, we do some unstructured um, analysis of doctor notes and health records and things like that. But mm. we we are our um, kind of greatest value comes in conversation data when there's two or more parties having an exchange of dialogue about the products and services. Uh, really, in our case, it's the healthcare journey that um, they're going through. Okay. So one of the things I want to get to, but before we get there, um, I want to I peel back into this idea of unstructured and unsolicited versus surveys, because there's it's been a lot of talk about surveys lately but i want to eventually get to this idea of data back storytelling which you and i had an offline conversation about which really piqued my interest um, because i want to learn more about how you do that and i'll tell you why in a minute but before we get there um 
surveys. So I keep I keep seeing there really isn't a day that goes by now that I don't see a post, let's say on LinkedIn that says surveys are dead, surveys are dying. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the end of surveys. Uh, if you're in the survey world, you know, you don't want to be blockbustered out of existence. So what are your <laughs> what are your thoughts on where the future of surveys are and how your organization is, um, you know, navigating those waters? Yeah. I love the question because I I spend a lot of time thinking about this. I've spent, prior to Authentics, um, voice of the customer was solicited feedback through surveys. I mean, that is how companies kept their finger on their customers was asking for them to share their feedback in surveys. I I see value in surveys. Um, I see its value more on the pillar of market research where we're trying to study um, kind of behaviors in a, in a market. I have um, grown extremely skeptical of surveys for perception um, collection, okay. where we ask how satisfied are you, how not satisfied are you. Um, so I, I see its value. I, I am super skeptical now, knowing kind of what I've seen in the industry and where I'm at now of perception-based survey data collection. Leslie, let's let's dig into that a little bit more. What has made you skeptical? Um, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time. Yeah. I've seen the industry grow. You know, CX wasn't even a thing. And um I what I've seen over the years is leaders continually frustrated because they're not getting the outcomes that they need from their survey program. Now, what you'll you'll hear and I hear is it's because no one's doing anything. It's because they're not taking action. And I think there's some truth in that. But I also think that um, surveys are skewed. Um, I think there has been a dramatic change in the world of surveying. One, people are over-surveyed. I mean, I get requests for surveys every week, like multiple times, even maybe daily. We're over-surveyed. Response rates are going down. Um, We see a lot of bad survey design. I think all of these things that are more kind of macro level Mm. shifts in the survey world are impacting the reliability of the data, who participates in a survey and when they participate, how they participate as well. Um, So I've just grown, I've grown really skeptical. The other, the other thing is it's the reality that solicited feedback is really a memory of the experience. It's what you recall. Now, granted, it's how you feel about what you recall, but it's a memory. And our memories aren't always accurate. We do a lot of justification after the fact. So all of these things are kind of shifting my perceptions about survey data. The the other thing I would add is, you know, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about 
this like obsession with NPS and how leaders are just obsessed with it. And, and I get that. I, I get it. But I just think about like at, at the heart of what we're trying to do is we're trying to help humans understand humans or create um, less friction in healthcare. And you think about when you start to kind of really un- get to the root of what will create less friction in healthcare. I've gotten to the point of we've got to eliminate moments of struggle. The moments when our customers struggle with XYZ that we offer, the moment that we make it difficult for a human being to get the care that they need. And so where where can we find moments of struggle? Where does that exist? It's in the contact center. And that's one big source. It's when they need our help. So let's like start really analyzing the moments of struggle to fuel our innovation, to fuel our continuous improvement initiatives so that we can do what we're trying to do that we measure through NPS. But really at the end of it, we're just trying to create a, a simpler experience, an experience that customers value and appreciate. Thank you. So, so the AI, how does the AI do a more accurate job of capturing? You, you mentioned memories are what people rely on to report on their perception of an event. And I can tell you firsthand, my memory is quickly fading. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, it does it does matter what I what I remember about an experience, right. right? Clearly, even though it's fading. But what does the AI give you that you can't get in a survey? So what what conversational AI has given you is it is giving you uh, it takes that unstructured data because it's all words. Um, Mm -hmm. that people are expressing. And we talk, by the way, 125 to 150 words a minute. So lots of unstructured data. What conversational AI Wait, now, I I grew up in New York, so just double that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Even more. (laughs) So there's a lot of unstructured data. And the beauty of AI is it allows us to take all that data and structure it into things that are important for the business. One of the examples in healthcare is where there's friction in the care journey. That's not just healthcare, that's any business. Um, And one of the applications that we use is called the Eddy effect. Um, It's a machine learning model. The word Eddy comes from the, reality when water's flowing down a river and it hits a boulder, that boulder causes water to flow counter to the current. And when that happens, that's called an eddy. Mm. What eddies happen every day in business. And so what we've been doing is we have been teaching our machine learning models how to detect an eddy or friction in the care journey. So we take all this unstructured data, we have our machine learning models look at it and detect things like eddy effect, sentiment, 
Um, we're in healthcare, so we uh, look for HIPAA compliance and adverse events and things like that. So AI allows us to do that at scale. Some 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 of our clients have millions of customer interactions each month. There's no human capacity to listen at that scale. So AI really helps helps fill that void. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's interesting. So using technology to do things that humans can't do to help humans. Understand humans. Yeah. yeah understand humans. Okay. So um, you talked to me about stories, and I want to come back to that because speaking of memories, the stories are a great way to have people remember what it is you share. And I've had uh, on the podcast, I've been lucky enough to have Dennis Geelan, who is an author, wrote a few books, uh, wrote a CX book called Zeroed In, wrote The Accidental Solopreneur. He talked about how to craft a story. I had a filmmaker, John Bame, who did Filling in the Blanks, uh, documentary, talking about story. And now I've got you using, talking about data, data-backed storytelling, turning like insights into action. Tell us how that works. Yes. Okay. So I actually um, like to talk about a gentleman named, named Granville Toogood. He is a leadership coach. He served many kind of Fortune 500 CEOs. He's got a book called The New Articulate Executive. And he talks about inciting action by kind of connecting to two parts of our mind. The first is the conscious mind. And the conscious mind is activated with data. Um, it is logic. It's reason. It's kind of um, process steps. But what happens when our conscious mind sees data is it doesn't know how to balance it. It's just equally balanced. Mm. So it's not going to cause us to do anything, but it's going to tell us something that, we, that we're curious about. The other side of the mind is the, that he talks about is what he calls the primal mind. And this is the part of the mind that is activated. It's turned on through stories. And what happens is when this part of the mind is turned on, it is activated. It is motivated to take action. And so we talk about data. We call we call it data back storytelling because it's always rooted in the data. We need the conscious mind because we need it to believe it. We need it to prioritize the um, focus for the business logic, all of that, but to incite the action to go drive improvements, we need the primal mind to do that. And so for us, data-backed storytelling is the merriment of quantitative data and qualitative stories, where we show this, um, your data represents X percent I'll, um, I'll give an example here. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked with one uh, pharmaceutical manufacturer who had a new controversial drug come to market. 
and um, they wanted to keep their finger on the pulse of their patient conversations at day one of drug on uh, launch. And one of the things that we found in their data is that their customers had this like extreme sense of urgency. That was the emotion that we detected. It was like a sense of urgency. And we, we shared that with them, not through data, but we had them listen to seven really short clips of urgency. And at the end of it, the senior most person in the virtual room said, Leslie, I like, I've got to stop you. What does this represent in our data? And I was able to say, you know, whatever percent of your calls, 40% of your calls had mm. a sense of urgency detected. Mm -hmm. After that, he said, you have my complete undivided attention from here on out and they started like creating action plans in the meeting started mm. assign like we didn't have to have an action planning meeting and you know it was it happened in in the moment in the meeting where they were getting the insights let, let me because of how we delivered it because of how you delivered it let me let me ask you a, a detail about um, the intent of the drug was the intent of the drug was, was this for sloth people who you wanted to create a sense of urgency or is this people already anxious who you didn't want to create a sense of urgency or neither it is, <laughs> it is a drug that it is a um, condition that has not had a treatment on the market for a while and and so there's hope now by a new drug coming on the market. Okay, yeah. so so it, the drug itself wasn't designed to to get people into action who were sitting on the couch all day. That wasn't the purpose yeah, of the drug. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was like desperation. I need this because I'm running out of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Got it. So it, it got them very excited about the solution. It gave them hope. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that that is really interesting. So um, it, I'm wondering, like, your um, authentics, how much behind-the-scenes work to curate for a presentation to a CEO like you just described, or is that largely a byproduct of what the tool does, what, this, what the solution does? Yeah. It's both. I mean, mm. the, the uh, platform does the data crunching. You know, it gives you tools to look at your data in different ways. But, you know, the, the reality of storytelling, you know, a lot of people think storytelling is data visualization or they think of storytelling as like presentation skills, public speaking. Right. Um, but the, the reality is storytelling is a process and the very first step in the process is finding the story and actually today is taylor swift's birthday and we've just got to recognize one of the world's best storytellers out there and she's amazing at it because she finds the story that's the first step and then you craft the story she puts it into this amazing words that we can all kind of, maybe not all, but a lot of people can connect to. 
and then you deliver it. So it's a process. Finding the story um, can be kind of the long, not the longer in terms of like, you know, weeks, right, but it's right. more time consuming part of it. Yeah. And then crafting it's probably next and delivering it is, you know, an hour presentation or, you know, whatever the, the stage limit is. Yeah. All right. So that is, that is 100% true. I agree with you 100% about, because if you, if you're in the role of a change agent of any kind, you're looking for data and then you get data. And usually the issue is usually is you don't, the issue is not that you don't have enough data. You, you may not have the right data that you need, but then you've got, you've got an overflow an overload of data and then you've got to find out okay what data matters where is the story um so if you've got a tool like yours which can help zero in on what the story is what matters yes. yeah yeah Absolutely. all right so two follow-up questions to that one is um i'll tell you i'll, I'll ask them both and then i'll let you answer them the way you want so the first one is how do you work with people in CX leadership roles to partner with them to help their organization get traction to make change? And two is, is there a sort of a minimum size organization that you say, okay, we really aren't going to go below this threshold because it's just too, there's not enough data, it's too small? Mm. Um, we don't see the too small in our world. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, when it comes to contact center data, which is largely not solely what we do, but it, it represents the bulk of it. You know, we work with some hospitals that have thousand calls, uh, you know, every other week or so. And, and they are, here's the other beauty compared to kind of survey data is it's an analysis, the entirety, you know? So if your contact center data is a hundred calls a week or a thousand calls or a million calls, it's gonna analyze all of it, the full volume of calls. And by the way, like even a hundred calls for a human being is how it, like, that's, that's a large capacity for a human to do. So AI is automatically volume um, bringing some value there. Mm -hmm. So the, I think I answered the second one, but let me just confirm if I understood the question, right? Yeah. Cause if I'm, if I'm listening and I work for a nine unit medical uh, clinic, you know, or a, you know, my, my cousin is a pedia pediatrician in a pediatric group that's in like 12 states, but mm -hmm. it's still small compared to, you know, uh, Johns Hopkins health system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we work with those smaller regional hospital yeah. groups because yeah. they still get enough um, volume of calls where the it makes sense for ai to help come help drive some efficiency yeah yeah because yeah, i was wondering like is there do you have as a provider of these solutions do you have a is connects to do you have a high overhead like um 
high fixed cost for servicing a business and therefore it only makes sense if it's a large enough business you know like IBM or someone like that versus hey we the technology is so uh agile and swift that we can even come in with a smaller group yes all the above i am helping you sell this aren't i <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious because I, I worked for a, um, as a funny story, I worked for a, a bank in the mid-Atlantic who was pretty small, about 3.2 billion in assets, which, which put us kind of on the small side of banks. And then when I left, it was like 14 billion, which put us in the middle of the pack kind of. But mm -hmm. when we were, especially when we were on the smaller side, we would look for things like VOC platform solutions and uh, some of the, I'm not going to name names here, but some of the larger uh, providers in that space would not provide us an R RFP response because we were just too small for them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's like there's an old saying in golf, like if your putt is short there's a 90 at least a 95 percent chance it won't go in it's like a, it's like a joke right you gotta right. you you want to <laughs> aim for a foot right. beyond a, right yeah. right a hole because they don't go in if they're short um and so that's it you can't you can't have a chance to get the business if your company's and i was frustrating to some of the relationship managers in that organization because they're like Gosh, you're growing because we quadrupled. We quadrupled in size there during the time I was there, so they missed an opportunity. But mm -hmm. you know, I guess at some point you got to say this is our target market and above a size. So that's that's why I was asking about the size. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, generally in our in healthcare, um, it's going to be your hospital systems, the, your health systems that are smaller than your payers and pharma. Although you know there are some smaller pharma manufacturers out there as well okay all right so that 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 answered that question i had um so <clears throat> um i had a question around um the to the tool itself and where you're going next with it have you thought have you been talking about that of course <laughs> every day yeah, I mean, the world of AI is just on fire right now, and there's a lot of innovation coming out. Um, you know, we're, we are very much focused on um, having the best machine learning models for healthcare. So building a lot of um, kind of value into our machine learning models for healthcare. Um, focusing on continuing to um, build data back storytelling into the product as well, so that um, that is the the process of data back storytelling is in the process is in the product, and then um, continuing on the action component, driving action and outcomes through. Um, a deep understanding of humans, you know, the humans that are uh, interacting with uh, with the business. So earlier you talked about um, the issue with a struggle, um, patient struggling 
through the process, right? And in in any other environment, same thing. We use the word friction. You know, yeah. they when I was uh, starting out, it was moments of truth, uh, yeah. moments of struggle, right? So these are challenges. And one of my other guests on the show was Lou Carbone, who I know you know, and Lou uh, wrote Clued In. And a lot of Lou's thinking is about how can we create memorable experiences, oh, right? Yeah. How yeah. can how can we design these experiences to create this emotional connection with the customer that like he worked at Disney? So, you know, when you walk down Main Street, what's the experience you feel and all these different emotions? And I'm wondering how at Authentics the tool can be used to not only reduce the friction and reduce mm-hmm. the reduce the moments or mitigate the moments of struggle. But how can it be or can it be used to create moments of emotional connection with customers, yeah. patients? Yeah. Uh, well, one, I love that question. Um, I need to I need to give that one some more thought. I, I can tell you though, right out of the bat, is in in your customer conversations, there is joy as well. I mean, there's gratitude, there's joy, there's appreciation, there's hope. We talked about hope earlier with um, pharmaceutical um, medications and things like that. So it is a source for brand value identification as well, what they love. Um, but it, it does tend to highlight more of like the friction points as well. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the, the, the other side that we haven't talked about is uh, conversations. There's two people in a cop, two or more. That is what makes up a conversation. And generally one party is the customer and the other party is the company. And we'll think about the company as the agent that could be a chat bot or a human being. We work really closely with our clients to not just remove friction through process technology and that type of thing, but also to improve the humans or bots that are helping their customers as well. So it, I, I don't know, we don't talk about it as creating joy through the agent, but that is what happens. We're helping them um, become better at serving their customers in the moment um, mm. customers are reaching out. But I need to give that some thought. I, I like that um, line of thinking is how can it also be an input into opportunities to create emotional joy um, and surprise and, you know, wow and that type of thing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, cool. All right. So this has been too much fun, but we do have to land the plane. And <laughs> um and but I always I always like to ask my guests one last question, which is what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Okay. So I I feel like I'm 26. So I'm I've got to think about this. No, I'm I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I would say that if I could speak to my 20-year-old self, I would tell her that 
um, wherever you are in your journey, it is preparing you for where you're going to be in the future. You know, I look back over my career and it led me to where I'm at now, you mm. know, and where I'm at now is leading me to where I'm going to be in the future. And you don't see that in the moment, you know, I mm. never knew that my days of learning loyalty research and net promoter scores were going to prepare me to do the work that we're doing in healthcare today, but it, but it did. Um, so that's what I would tell my, my 20 year old self is what you're doing today is preparing you for tomorrow. And, and I imagine you were, you were at Walker, right? So mm-hmm. I imagine the work you did at, at Walker was across industries. It was, we had a pretty strong at the time beachhead in tech, um, large tech companies. That was yeah. kind of also at the time of the tech boom, but it was across industries. We had some retail supply chain. Um, yeah. Well, the, the reason I ask is, um, and then I do have one more follow-up question that has to do with where I, you told me you're going after this podcast episode. Um, but does it feel, do you feel something different being so closely now aligned with the healthcare field? Um, like, does it give you a certain sense of satisfaction knowing that you're directly helping people with medical issues mm-hmm. or indirectly? It, yeah. I mean, the work that we do is, um, it's intent. I mean, it is like heart, heartfelt, mm. um, because it is healthcare. It is conversations. It's highly emotional, high stakes. Um, it is all of that. I'll, I'll tell you though, the reason why I kind of paused is I can see the benefit for any industry Mm. to leverage their conversation data, because at the end of it, we're all human beings, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, there's an opportunity to learn more about humans through conversation as well. Um, But yeah, the work we do here is um, it is uh, immense. That's the word that's coming to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate your answer because um, when I've been on podcasts episodes, uh, I've, I get asked similar questions, or they'll ask me, "Why do you do what you do?" in some form or fashion, and and to me, it's like I think it's easy to miss the fact. First of all, people don't know what customer experience is, right? It's mm-hmm. not customer service, um, right. but but we don't realize how many times a day that there, we have interactions with organizations, whether it's motor vehicles, whether it's the coffee shop, whether it's the health insurance claims department, whether it's your loan, your water company, whatever it is, a lot of times if you were to track it. And so one good, really good or really bad experience could change the trajectory of your day. And, if, and there's a ripple effect for those people that are around you. Right. Yes. And that's why I love when you said it's not just healthcare. It really could be any industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I because only Mark, because you opened the door for this, but I've got this um, shirt 
that is an equation and it's a heart with the function sign and a multiplying X sign in it. And it stands for love is the force multiplier. And that is, you know, um, coming to work um, when you're interacting with work. It, you know, if we can come from a place of love, the ripple effect can be love too, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, share that. <laughs> so, so an encouragement for those of you who are listening to audio to go back and watch on my YouTube channel, the video of this and watch Les <laughs> Leslie, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Thank you so much for the opportunity and um, for the thoughtful questions. Uh, it's been great. And if, if some of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you and maybe even learn more about your services, what would be the best way? Best way is LinkedIn, Leslie Pagel. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn and you can connect with me uh, through there. P-A-G-E-L? P-A-G-E-L. And I will put that and also um, Granville Two Goods link she mentioned in the show notes. Sounds great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.